Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook on creating a learning culture. In it, you'll learn why a learning culture is important and how you can create one in your own sales organization, starting from wherever you are right now. Make sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 301. We are starting a new, new hundred set of podcast episodes. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I am really excited about today's guest. I had so much fun meeting her a couple weeks ago, and I think you guys are going to really appreciate hearing from her. She is an author and educator and the founder of Where Expectations Meet Reality which helps people and organizations feel more connected to the world around them and the relationships that are most important to them. She's also the co-founder and an advisory board member of the Institute for Soul-Centered Life and Leadership and hosts the podcast Five Minutes with Dr. Lynette Reed. So you probably have guessed her name. Um, She is based near Austin, Texas. Welcome to the show, Dr. Lynette Reed. Hi, how are you today? I am doing well. It is so good to have you here, Lynette. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. So um, I just shared the the high-level bullets of your resume, what people could get from your LinkedIn bio, but that's not who you are as a person. So I'd love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners. Um, You could maybe talk about where you develop the passion for what you're doing or some key stops on the journey to where you are today. Uh, Yeah, well, you know, I've had kind of an up and down kind of career. I started in a totally different field. And then I actually went back and got my doctorate in a very unusual degree field called spirituality, sustainability, and interreligious dialogue. And so when I Mm. first started that, um, you know, it was uh, the thing I got the most was either religions or crystals. Uh, Those were the two (laughs) big things. Yeah. And so, you know, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do with this degree, Uh, But I had a a lady I knew who was actually the president of a mortgage company or a title company. And uh, she was talking to me about some of the things that I was uh, discussing. And she uh, was interested in trying to apply some of it to her, uh, the people that worked for her. And Mm -hmm. uh, what I what I kind of started with is the spirituality component. Uh, When a lot of people think of that, they think of those two things. But when I was looking at it in my research Uh, what spirit came up as was breath and inspire. So basically the way I started was thinking to myself, okay, with every breath you take, you get to decide how you're going to live your life and how you're going to to behave. And and is it going to fracture yourself, other people in the world, or is it going to strengthen them? And so that was kind Mm. of the starting point. And it touches on pretty much anything we do with business too, because if you think about how people behave in business, it does impact whether they strengthen teams, whether they fracture organizations uh, just by the behaviors, customer service, critical thinking, all those things kind of fall underneath it. So it brought me kind of where I am today, working with companies and individuals uh, to try to strengthen. So that's the goal. <laughs> if you're looking to fracture, uh, you know, that's, I, I'd probably have to send you somewhere else. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know how to help them either. I, I really love that transition that you've made. And I've spoken to a number of people who studied things similar to, to what you studied um, and have been able to translate that into um, work in the corporate world. And I think it, it speaks to a deeper understanding that has developed over the years that 
we're whole people and we bring our whole selves to work. And so um, you can't just turn off a part of your personality and put your work hat on and sit down for your eight hours or nine hours or 10 hours a day and then take that hat off and go home. But instead, you're the same person there that you are in other areas of your life. And so if you have tried to be a different person, if you've tried to stifle parts of yourself, if the organization doesn't create space for that connection, it doesn't um, motivate that connection, you're really doing your employees a disservice because they're they're being unfulfilled in that large part of their day that they're working. Yeah, I, I, you know, most of the companies I work with, you know, that they they really understand and recognize that value that, you know, they've done research after research to say that organizations that have good corporate culture, good engagement are going to just be stronger companies. And I think what you were talking about is actually very relevant today, especially with remote work and mm-hmm. some of the things that are going with that because your home is your workplace in a lot of respects. So it's even harder to turn things off and on because you're, you're there with it constantly, especially with technology the way it is too. Definitely. And I've seen, you know, in, in conversations I've had with sales leaders over the last, you know, at this point, it's been over a year, I've heard just a few that really wanted to basically pretend that their employees weren't really working from home, right? Yeah. <laughs> Where they wanted it to look and feel and sound and experience the, the same way that it had done when they were in the office. But they've got employees who are, you know, team members who are single parents of young kids, it, it's just not going to be the same. Sorry, it isn't. You've got people who are in a very small um, home with, you know, maybe a partner um, who's also working from home. And then you've got maybe kids who are in school and maybe there's just a noise level. There are pets. There are all kinds of other complicated things um, that that their employees are having to deal with. And if you try to just gloss over that and ignore that, um, you're really missing out. And then on the complete other side of the perspective spectrum, I've had clients who really had those conversations with their team members, you know, what's working for you and working from home and what's not. And, um, you know, to what you were saying that that's working to strengthen the relationship rather than fracture it and really strengthen their employees connection to the organization. And um, I've seen over the last year how those managers and their team members have really thrived. And the the managers in that first category I've talked about, um, they've actually learned to do a better job connecting because <laughs> yeah. they didn't realize that they yeah, were. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. I think, you know, they're the, you know, the COVID, with COVID and the pandemic and all those things, it was almost kind of like a double-edged sword because, you know, obviously there was a lot of really uh, horrible things that have been going on, you know, just really challenging, uh, difficult situations. But, um, the people who can really look at what's going on and say, okay, if this is our new normal, how are we going to thrive and become a stronger place to work or a stronger place to interact with each other? Then I think that's going to um, really help organizations because they're also recognizing the value of having relationship. You know, when you're when you're when relationships taken away, uh, you can really start to appreciate how valuable it is. And so I think, you know, relationship is a a kind of a new commodity in the business world because we are in a much different relationship model than we were a year and a half ago. Definitely. 
Um, so I know I've kind of dominated the conversation <laughs> so far, but I'd love to hear from you. You know, I shared some examples based on what I've seen. Um, do you have any specific examples or maybe even just common trends that you have seen in your clients over the last, let's say, year and a half or even over just the last few months if things have changed Um as we're now, you know, over a year into this. Yeah, well, I actually, you know, it's funny you asked that question because I just finished a um, course for MPUG, which is a project management organization. They do courses online. And mm-hmm. it was actually talking about uh, kind of cha- the topic title is, I think it's like chaos and pandemonium in a complex world. And um, some of the things I talk about in it are one is about chaos and how there's different types of chaos. And then also, Uh, the complex world. And so the the part three of the whole course, there's three parts to it, is all about our complex world. And and when you think about it, we've got technology is different than it's ever been. Uh, The world is moving faster than it ever has. We are more globally interconnected than we have ever been. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we have a, a pandemic now, which is something that hasn't happened in our lifetimes. And so we have an incredibly complex world that we're having to deal with. And whenever you add, you know, millennials and, and the Gen Z people that are coming up who are pretty soon going to start leading companies, uh, and they have a very different perspective because they were raised more with the technology than some of the people who are in the later generation. So, you know, there's there's so many examples Uh, of how these things are impacting businesses. And I think the biggest challenge is that if if you're afraid of change, if fear is a factor in what you're doing, it's going to make it really hard for you to to make those changes and move along with the flow of what's going on. And so um, that's one of the things that, you know, when you're talking about spirituality, it's kind of almost like a fear management program. You're trying to help manage uh, people's fear and their reaction to it because we all have those uh, fight or flight reptilian brain uh, reactions to fear. And if we think something's dangerous, whether it really is or not, then you're going to have fear reactions. And then when you add actual fear from things like pandemic, which are actually dangerous, then, you know, you've got a whole other level of uh, stuff that you're having to deal with. And so to me, if you've got a, a boss or a manager or a leader who, or even a, a, a team member who is, um, is trying to operate from behaviors that aren't fearful, then they're going to be able to tie and connect in a, in a way that's not reactionary. So I think mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing I've seen is helping people not become reactionary to the things around them and try to find ways to, to make it a positive. Uh, even though it's a really hard thing to do for, you know, many, many of us these days. Absolutely. Um, I really love that you pulled out all of those different elements that are creating this complex world, because it's so easy to just use the term complex world and assume we're all talking about the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And maybe one person is just thinking about the pandemic, right? Yeah. And another yeah. person is just thinking about the, the globalization. Another person might be thinking about rising authoritarianism right. across the world. Somebody else might be thinking of um, racial uh, conflict and the exposure of all of these fissures in society that have been been, you know, glossed over for a long time and ignored. And so setting that context and getting on the same page with, no, we're talking about all of this. It all can be yeah, yeah, together totally. um, to just, to just 
cause this this layer of of maybe stress of of anxiety of just there's more to deal with than there was before. And it's something that you have to keep in mind. I, I really love um, the way you're, you're talking about this because I know that it's, it's easy to focus on yourself, right. And to say, okay, I realize that I need to do a better job of, um, of connecting, of having a sustainable approach of um, really addressing all of these areas of complexity, but you're focused on not just an individual, but a corporate culture. So how would you take the, these concepts and apply them to a leader who's thinking, okay, yes, I get this. I can do this myself, but I want to impact my entire corporate culture. That seems like that's a that's a pretty big step from what we were just talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing that, you know, it's been really interesting. I've been doing this for over 20 years. And, you know, back, back when I first started, it was very, you know, it was a different world. And uh, there weren't many people who were talking about spirituality in the workplace per se. And uh, even now, you know, we have to tend to lean towards words like human potential because uh, it ha- spirituality has such a base of religion and crystals that uh, I find that it becomes distracting sometimes. And so a lot of times what I'm finding is that um, when you're talking about this connectivity, which is what I look at spirit as, is a way to connect with yourself and other people that it also has to do with the way you think and the way you behave. And so you're getting into the behavioral sciences and things like that. And um, one of the things I've come across a lot recently, and I've talked to a lot of people in higher ed that have told me that one of the biggest challenges we have right now is that um, we don't have the critical thinking skills uh, that um, Mm. what's happening is there's a thing called binary thinking which uh, kind of my picture of it is that um, it's the either ors, you know, it's, it's, you're either good Mm -hmm. or bad, you're either wrong or right. And when we think that way, it's, it's us against them. And so you see it on Facebook where, you know, if you're not with me, then, you know, we're going to be at war with each other instead of trying to find ways critically thinking wise to come to a shared agreement, even if we don't agree with something. And, you know, that, that adds another layer of complexity because we have so many diverse people now and it's so broad, especially, you know, the more globalized we become, we have to think in terms of, okay, what do they do in this part of the world that's differently than what we do in our part of the world? Uh, because those things are starting to matter more and more in the business world. And so uh, having that ability to do critical thinking, I think really helps. And that's one of the things I found, interestingly enough, was I came up with a model for the spirituality and it has Mm -hmm. three behaviors that you can do to kind of, it was originally designed to kind of help you stay focused, uh, keep calm, not react in that reptilian fight or flight mentality. But what I'm finding more and more is that it also helps to uh, teach critical thinking skills. So, yeah, so it's been kind of an interesting uh, evolution of it because, you know, if you're learning those critical thinking skills as a boss or as an employee, then it's not about that person's wrong or they did it bad. It's more about, okay, this situation happened that we have to now deal with and fix. And you can hear just from talking about it, the narrative changes and the story changes to let's not blame anybody. Let's figure out what Mm -hmm. the situation is and move it forward. Because when you start blaming people, you go backwards. And when you start trying to find solutions to something that happened, you move forward. So, you know, they all kind of interconnect with each other in that way. 
Absolutely. And that tendency that we have, because like you said, it's, it's the reptilian, reptilian brain. It's that <laughs> natural human instinct that we have to something went wrong. I want to point my finger and blame it as your fault. And then we can all get together and glare at you. <laughs> and that doesn't fix anything. No, no, yeah. And that, that really hurts our culture because everybody's afraid then to make a mistake because you know you're going to get the blame and shame yeah. from the rest of yeah. the group. Yeah. And you're not all that interested in working together with people because what if you screw something up and I'm a part of it and then I get the blame with you. Exactly. And so if instead we can just say, you know what? Stuff happens. <laughs> Unfortunately, life is not perfect. And let's all just agree that mistakes are going to happen and mistakes are a natural byproduct of creativity and of innovation and of, you know, trying new things and, and stretching ourselves. And so when things go wrong, we're going to work to name it as soon as possible. And without putting any blame and shame on it, just say, okay, let's, let's work together on a solution. That's going to drive more innovation. And that's going to drive more creativity and better ideas. And you're going to better get the wisdom of a lot of different people on your team who might be hesitant to speak up because they're afraid of that cycle of blame and shame. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that's not to say that people don't need to be accountable. You know, that's the one Absolutely. big one I get. Yeah. That, the one I get a lot of times if I say that kind of thing is that, um, that, you know, well, you're not holding people accountable. And, and to me, when I'm thinking of it, I'm thinking, all right, if you're going to hold people accountable, how are you going to hold them accountable? Are you mm -hmm. going to yell at them or tell them they're wrong and, you know, they can't do their job? Or are you going to say, look, we're having a problem with this. You either need training or, you know, maybe you need to find a job where you can fit better and it's a, a better fit for you and you can enjoy your job even more because it's going to be something that's good for you in the long run. And so, you know, it's more how we, what narrative we use to make something happen as opposed to just saying, okay, it's a free for all. Anybody can do whatever they want. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a great point. Yeah. Um, so now I know I took us off track. You were starting to talk about your three part oh, behavior model. Yeah, sorry and I, my fault. No, it was me. <laughs> so I'd love to, um, I'd love to take a deep dive into that. So can you, can you walk us through that three part behavior model? Yeah. Yeah. And I share it really with anybody, you know, my goal would be is to anybody who really wants to help and learn this. I, I'm hundred percent behind helping people. In fact, I do have a, a resources on my website uh, that have, ways to learn it in more in depth. Uh, but the, the general gist of it is the three behaviors are, uh, the first one is that you have a personal intentional mission statement. And, and what I mean by this is that you pick behavioral adjectives that you can control that you're going to choose as how you want to live your life and how you want to treat people and how you would like people, you know, to kind of treat you. And these are going to be what I call your anchor words, because if you know how you want to behave to something, it's going to help you make a narrative that's going to fit that as opposed to just jumping off at whatever happens and reacting to it. So it can't be mm -hmm. words like happy because you can't really always make yourself happy, but you can always, you know, attempt to be kind or helpful or friendly uh, or, you know, any of those action words. And I'm, you know, obviously you see they're all strengthening words. <laughs> and then, you know, and I joke with people and say, you know, you can pick words like grumpy because if you're consistently grumpy and people know you're going to be grumpy, that actually works for some people, you know? So, you know, it can't be violent. Now that would probably be a bad one, but you know, it's, you, you get the gist. It has to be yeah, words. Where, yeah. Yeah. It has to be words that really identify 
um, your kind of who you want your personality to be and how you want to uh, uh, identify yourself uh, as far as your behavior. And so that's the first thing you do. And that's going to be your anchor that you're always going to go back to. The second one is words and actions matching. And I tell you, this is the number one thing to me. This is a key for everybody. If you think of any boss you've ever had or any employee you've ever had where they've said one thing and then done something different, Mm -hmm. what does that do? Uh, That's an automatic fracture right there. And so to me, if you want, if you're talking trust and authenticity in an organization or in a person, uh, that that right there will tell you, uh, it's, in fact, I think it's a really valuable tool as an assessment tool. If you're trying to do mm-hmm. an assessment of an employee or of, of a boss and uh, you're seeing that they're, they're telling you one thing, but then doing something completely different, then, you know, my question would be to them, which are you going to believe as their true nature, their words or their actions? Mm-hmm. And, and what do most people, what, what would you guess most people say? Always the action. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, if you're looking at what people's actions are and they're not getting their work done on time, then you've got a pretty good authentic picture of who that person is or that boss is. And so that to me is probably number one uh, of anything I would try to show people. And then, uh, and it also plays off of your word because if you say, okay, I want to be kind, that's my word I'm anchoring on. And then you go out and yell at people at work, uh, you know, or you're, you're, yelling at yourself even, then uh, you're causing a fracture because you can't on the one hand say, okay, I want to be a kind person, but then do things that are unkind because that fractures uh, what people think and know about you. And so that would be the second one is just really making sure you do that. And the other thing I say with the first one, going back to it for just a minute is you also have to define the word because everybody has a different definition of what it means to be friendly And so you have to make sure that when you're defining friendly, you recognize that other people may not define it that way. Because because remember, these are your words and your actions and you don't have uh, the the place to really have other people act that way, too. They have to pick their own actions and words and then you all have to figure out a way to interconnect with your own words, your own actions. And you can see how that you're starting to build individual uh, strength versus team strength, because with individual strength, it's uh, an individual process, it's individual words. But then when you get into a team element, you have to decide on these words and these definitions together to bring that cohesion in. So that's where you kind of get into individual versus team work on that. And then Mm. the third one, I used to call it, and this is where my name came from, uh, your your expectations have to be aligned with reality. And, and this one's kind of a cheat because it actually, a counselor once told me this. They said that mm-hmm. the, the closer you or your beliefs are aligned to rea- the reality of the situation, the less distressed you're going to become. And I always thought that was so interesting because, you know, the reason I think with the binary thinking people get so upset is that if their belief is very, very far away from something that's not necessarily the reality, the cumulative reality of everybody, then they're going to feel just that distress. And if you have a belief system where you're feeling challenged, sometimes that brings in that fear and that value element. 
but I, I've changed it. That was the that was kind of the old way I used to talk about it. But what I found was that people could really connect more with not judging things as good or bad or wrong or right. Mm. Now that doesn't mean that you can't have your own opinions about things, whether they're good or bad or wrong or right. But what it's saying is if like, for instance, you have an employee who's not getting their work done, well, they're not bad or they're not wrong. They're just not getting their work done. And so we don't have to identify it as a bad or wrong thing, or we don't have to say, oh, this employee's good and this employee's bad, because then you've started putting value systems in place that have nothing to do with um, what's going on in the situation. You're, you're, you're placing value on the person and telling them whether they're good or bad based off of their behavior. And I think sometimes that can be difficult whenever you're trying to say, look, we're all different. We all have different ways of viewing the world. We all have different ways of working and we have to set parameters. So everybody's in place, but we don't have to say bad, good, wrong, right. And I, what I find with this one is that it really helps people to focus on the, the challenge or the problem or the situation as opposed to the, the blame game or, or, you know, all of those things. And, and the other thing that this does is it really helps with that whole diversity inclusion part. Um, I just joined a organization. I was invited to join. Uh, it's called the inclusion crowd. And it's actually out of, I, th- I think it's out of the UK. Um, Ed, Ed Jervis is the guy who's in charge of it. And um, that's one of the things that I've talked with him a lot about is, that you know, if you're if you're not judging things as good or bad or wrong or right, then you're really not judging it on color, race, any of those things. You're saying, is this person a good fit for this group? You know, as far as their ability to be friendly, ability to be uh, get their work done, things like that, and then those become your assessment tools as opposed to. Uh, any of those, the other things that are out there. So, you know, I think that's kind of in a nutshell and they all kind of work cyclic with with each other. If you've got somebody who's uh, upset, well, instead of judging the situation as good or bad or wrong or right, you say, okay, here's the situation. How do we want to handle it? Let's make sure our words and actions match. We're said we're going to handle this in a friendly manner. So everybody in the team, let's be friendly when we talk to each other. And we have identified friendly as talking calmly, letting everybody have a turn, um, keeping it, you know, kind of light where we're not yelling at each other or tense and allowing everybody to have their own opinion and, you know, kind of talk, talk it out. And so following those parameters, (coughs) pardon me. And so, um, and, and it's, it does take a technique. It's like anything that you're learning. Uh, it's a practice. You have to practice it and practice it. Some people have it naturally, but some people do have to, to learn it because it's not something that has really been taught in the general yeah. public. So that's kind of in a nutshell, the, the three model system I use. That is, um, that's so fascinating. And like you said, it, it, some of it just seems, oh, as soon as you say it, it makes sense. But yet you think about, okay, am I actually doing that right now? And I think most of us would say definitely not. And, um, are our companies doing that? So I've got, I've got some questions. Sure. I'm going to, I'm going to drill you on this. All right. So one thing that I was thinking as you were talking about that personal intentional mission statement is first of all, you have a real focus there on what you can control and what you can do. And that was like you said, um, you're not going to say be happy because you can't control your happiness, but you can say be friendly because you can control whether you're friendly or not. Regardless of whether you feel happy, you can be friendly. So would you say that that's a good rule is that mission statement has to be 
kind of things that you can control about how you're going to interact with the world? Oh, totally. And and the reason that I, I, I use it a lot is because one of the things that I think makes people feel fearful is the fact that they may not have control of situations mm-hmm. or events or people. And if you're, if you're trying, if you're trying not to be afraid and you want to control something so that you can not feel afraid, then, you know, what a great thing to grab hold of and say, okay, no matter how anybody else acts, no matter what bad situation happens, no matter how traumatic things are, I can always go back to this and control this one thing. In fact, there's this great book and I'm going to, I always forget it. I cannot, I don't know why I can't remember it. I probably ought to type it up and bring it up on my, <laughs> my, my computer, but it, it was written by a psychologist and probably there's going to be people in your audience who are going to know exactly what book I'm talking about. I think it's called man's meaning uh, in life or uh, it, but the, the guy was a psychologist who was a, a Jewish Holocaust victim and he wrote a book uh, that was just phenomenal. And if I, if I'll, I'll look it up for you later. But um, he was talking about observing in the Holocaust where there were some people who would give their very last crumb of bread to help somebody who was starving. And there were some people who would just, uh, you know, hide it for themselves and, and have that scarcity model of, of things. And and, you know, that really struck with me because, I, you know, you think to yourself, that's probably, you know, a very horrific situation that everybody's in, but they still had that choice. You know, even though they had choice about absolutely nothing else, they had their choice about how they were going to treat somebody and how they were going to respond to the situation. And so it, that really kind of struck home. And I think that's a little bit of where this thought came from was, you know, if we're in a work situation or we're you know, in a team that's really just driving us crazy or we're upset or we don't like our job um, and we're trying to figure out how we're going to fit into this thing that we don't care for. Well, you know, you may not be able to control your boss. You may not be able to control your coworkers. But if you know that you can be friendly, then it gives you something to hold on to. And it's, it's really hard to do it sometimes because we've got these little fearful egos that, you know, want to be protected. And Mm -hmm. sometimes we believe that being right means being protected. And so, you know, if you have, that's that binary thinking I was talking about. And so I think that's, you know, it's, it's can be a really big challenge, especially in situations we're in right now where there's a pandemic, where there is actually something that we have to be fearful of. Definitely. I I feel like that ties to that idea of anchor words, because like you said, an anchor word is something you can just keep coming back to. It's, it's safe. It's, um, it's that sense of calm, you know, what, what an actual anchor is, is it something that holds you in place, (laughs) buffet it around. And so having those anchor words of, Hey, these are things that I can keep coming back to. Um, so when it comes to having those personal, um, mission statements or mission, you know, those behavioral anchor words. Is that something that you would recommend that people share within their teams? Like this could be an exercise that a leader might facilitate together where everybody's going to develop their words, or is this something that you find is better um, for people to have internally and maybe only share with very, very close people? Oh, uh, well, I think both actually. I mean, I think to Mm -hmm. me, to me, that's the, the beauty of this. And, you know, it kind of, circles back to the whole spirit breath thing is that there is the breath that you take, that's your personal breath that comes in and out. But then there's also this cumulative breath that we all share. And so to me, when you're talking about this connectivity, 
uh, you are talking about, okay, I have to find a way to make myself feel connected to myself and connected to the things that I believe and who I am as a human being. But then I also have to take that if I'm not going to be, you know, like a hermit or something like that. And I have to take that and uh, introduce it into a larger cumulative group. And so you have to have, you know, your words, but then one thing I do when I go into companies is I'll say, okay, mm-hmm. if we've got a group of people that are trying to work together, let's come up with some words that work for us. And, it, you know, it's really subtle. And sometimes it can be hard because it's a double-edged sword, because if you use it as a, 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 a as a way of saying, okay, we're all going to pick these words and everybody's going to use these words, whether they like it or not, then, <laughs> you know, it's not the same idea as, hey, you know, we've got to figure out how we can all work together. And let's say... These are the words that we like. And and some teams do it automatically, inherently. And if you've ever been on a team like that, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about because you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, we all just kind of sync with each other and we understand each other and we can we don't judge good or bad or wrong or right. We've got, uh, you know, this words and action thing going. I'm in charge of this. You're in charge of that. Uh, but if you've got a team that doesn't have that, then sometimes if you start at the basics, then it really does help you to say, okay, look, if, if we've got a lot of people here, everybody has very strong beliefs, Very people are very passionate about their belief systems. But whenever we work in this group, let's try to be, you know, cordial. You know, that could be a word if you've got a lot of tension, you know, it doesn't have to be friendly. It could be what word works for you. And you can even have everybody write down words and then write everybody's word up on the board so that they can see what everybody thinks. It should be a good word. And hopefully you'll start to be able to make a picture, a visual picture of, of words of how people believe that you should you know, talk to each other and interact with each other in an ideal situation. And then you use that as your assessment tool and say, okay, did this person, when they, when they got upset, did they yell at their teammate or did they speak cordially to them? You know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and you kind of can use it to say, Hey, let's, let, you know, let's try to learn like that. But, you know, with all these things, it's hard because anything you do, you can use it. And I'm going to say this as a joke, for good or evil. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's not like a magic thing where, okay, yeah, we're going to come up with these words. Everybody's going to get along. It's going to be real friendly. It has to be that everybody buys into it and says, yes, it is important that we all speak nicely to each other. Or it is nice that we all can be, uh, you know, at least if nothing else, cordial. Even if we don't agree with anything anybody says, we can be cordial and come up with ways to work together. You know, so it's kind of that double-edged sword with that. Definitely. I I really love that because what it sounds like to me then is that certainly people need their individual words and their individual, um, you know, those statements. But then there's also potentially a team word that you might agree on. And so you'd you'd even have just like, here's our mission statement for the team. And then you can have your individual one. And certainly if it conflicts with the teams, that's a conversation to have with the manager, right? If there's (laughs) something something that really, that somebody really values and it it conflicts with the team's message, that is, uh, that's a great conversation to actually have because then you're, you're going to realize, okay, you're not wrong. Again, it's not binary. It's not right, wrong. It's just, there's a, there's a mismatch here. Yeah, exactly. And if you're, if we're moving forward with 
without acknowledging that, we're causing constant fractures because you value something that isn't being recognized by the organization or you don't value something that is being yeah, recognized that, by the exactly organization. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly the way it works. Yeah. And, and you know, to me, that's the thing that I tell a lot of people is, you know, if, especially if you're in HR or things like that, is I think one of the best things you can do for your company is really take some time to make sure that you're figuring out that the people you hire have the same kind of words, uh, you know, for their personal intentional and have that same sense of culture that you have, because I can't, there, there, there's a lot of research out there that shows that a lot of people that get hired don't end up staying because mm-hmm. they end up not being a good match. And so you can just save so much money uh, in a company just by taking that little extra time to to do the culture part and there's a whole bunch i mean if you get on google there's a whole bunch of resources on ways to do that uh you know there you know to me like i say the big one i would ask is you know first of all uh what what are your you know kind of personal words that you use you know do you feel like people should use to, to how they treat each other at work and you know how would you handle these situations at work and then also, you know, trying to see if you can get a feel for their beliefs on words and actions and how that would work. It could be situational things you give them or, you know, uh, kind of observing and things like that. But, um, you know, there's a bunch of people out there who've been doing work on that where that you can go out and read and see mm-hmm. uh, how you can kind of make that culture aspect. In fact, um, the, the big analogy I use with companies is I say, okay, if you think of a tree, all right. Mm-hmm. So the company and your team uh, is the trunk and the branches and all of that stuff. But these, this model I use and this, what I would call the human potential or the spiritual part are the roots. So mm-hmm. you can have a tree that looks just fine and it's moving right along, but it has disease in its roots. And mm-hmm. the first wind comes along, what's going to happen? You know, so to me, you got to kind of think of that analogy when you're thinking about the culture. So, you know, you, you ask yourself, how much time and effort should I put in the roots of my company? <laughs> so, <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, so. And uh, I'll, I'll probably stretch that analogy to the breaking point, but that is going to then translate into the fruit that the tree produces yeah. and you can have a tree that looks really good and then it starts to get sick in the roots. And, and so, you know, the fruit might be your, your products and services, whatever that, you know, however you want <laughs> to take a, the analogy. That's a good analogy. Yeah, I, I've actually never thought of that one. So I'll have to add that one to my list. That's a, that's a really good way to add to it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's to me, you know, the way you kind of have to think about it. And I think it's really challenging, especially, you know, when we talk about complex world, because if you think about how much stuff we have to kind of, think about right now, especially if you're, you know, uh, you know, have kids or you mm-hmm. know, with their schedules and you've got d- double with both parents working or, you know, whatever's going on in your life. If you've got parents that need care or whatever, it's really mm-hmm. hard to stop and say, hey, you know, this is really important that I stay grounded and that, you know, grounded, get it from the roots and, and, yeah. uh, <laughs> and that, uh, that, you know, the, the people around me are, you know, that I'm helping them stay grounded. And so if you're a leader, you know, imagine how great it would be to have a boss that what they said, their actions would match their words. I mean, that's probably, you know, you asked me earlier, what's one of the biggest things I'm hearing? Well, with the younger group, you know, the ones in their 20s, early 30s, uh, what I'm hearing a lot is they get very frustrated because, People will say, yeah, 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 we're going to give you a pay raise or yeah, 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 we're going to give you a a new job title, but then it never comes. 
And I think they would much rather they just say, look, I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. You know, I would love to give it to you or I'm not, you know, I don't want to give it to you, but that way they at least know where they stand and they're not waiting for something and they haven't broken that trust and lost that authenticity. So I think that's, you know, a real big challenge I've seen right now is that words and action one. And I see kind of maybe three levels of that. There's first of all, your words and actions not matching and it impacting you internally of, I say, I want to have these values. I say these are my anchor words, but I'm not acting in a way that that fulfills that. And so I'm going to feel internal fracture, which is going to cause that that shame, that guilt, that um, that just sense of of I would imagine kind of despondence, right? Yeah, Distress yeah. because I I'm misaligned. And then there's the the words not acts not matching actions, um, words that are. Like we value you, you know, our employers, our employees are our family. That's a word that is very commonly used. We're we're all a family. We're all a team. Um, And we value your perspective. And we believe that all of our employees are the same and have the same potential for success. And those are words that so many companies are, are sharing and so many individual leaders in those companies are sharing. And then the actions of the company don't align with them. And that's less on a specific situational value. Because the the third example would be, you know, we're going to give you a pay raise and they don't give you a pay raise. And that's an explicit promise that they're making. But those second two are are very similar. And I would imagine they're they're kind of equally distressing, equally frustrating. And it's easy to say, okay, we're going to follow through on our promises. We're going to make sure we don't say I'm going to give you a raise without giving a raise. But you're still not following through on living out the values that you're espousing because it's it's harder, right? It's easier to know, uh, yes, I will give you a raise or no, I won't give you a raise. That's, <laughs> exactly. It's yeah. not complicated. But yeah. if I say we're a family, what does that really mean? Yeah. And um, what do you think it means versus what I think it means as a manager? And if there's a mismatch there, if we're not clear, then you might be thinking the actions do not match what, what I believe you told me. And Maybe nobody's wrong here, right? Or maybe somebody is. Um, yes. But regardless, uh, that that is causing again that fracture. And yeah, I love you that got, language you got it well. down perfectly. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, and that's also that little critical thinking element too. Because mm-hmm. when you're thinking like that, you're thinking in that broader perspective of, hey, this person may not be even realizing that they're calling saying it's family. Well, I don't think of family that way. They may think of family that way, but I don't. Mm. And so, you know, am I going to talk to them about the fact that I don't view family that way? Or, you know, how am I going to deal with this situation where this person has a very different view of what family is or what we value you means, you know what I mean? And so Mm -hmm. you can, there's just all these little layers that you have to uh, and complexities that you have to think of. And that's that critical thinking element as opposed to, well, they were wrong because they didn't treat me like family because they didn't treat me the way I thought family should be treated. You know, you can, yeah. you can just hear the, that, that different narrative there. So, yeah, but that's exactly right. And I think, you know, that got falls into the whole discussions on resiliency, mental health. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they all just interplay with each other so much. 
Definitely. Like you said, I see all of these three behaviors in the three-part behavioral model. They, it's a cycle and it's yeah. constantly, um, because if the words and actions aren't matching, sometimes maybe you need to go back to the word and say, you know what? Family wasn't the right word. That doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. Somebody might have negative connotations yeah, exactly. with the word family. Yeah. Instead, we're going to say, we will all be cordial and we will respect each other's perspectives and we will, you know, whatever else you think family means, because you can then align on the meaning of those words. And that's going to provide, again, to keep going back to it, the anchor that you you can come back to and you can evaluate behavior against. Because it's hard to say, like, you're not acting like family. That's that's your interpretation, not yeah, mine, exactly. right? But if we said we, we value these specific things, then we can evaluate behavior against it. Exactly. Yes. In fact, I had a discussion with somebody the other day where we were talking about, um, you know, words are so semantic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, semantical. If you have the word, you know, kind, well, you know, everybody can have a very different picture. Uh, in fact, one, one person was used a good example of, um, uh, if you think of a dog, if I say to, to, to your audience, okay, think of a dog. All right. Mm-hmm. So do you think everybody in the audience is going to think Great Dane? You know, there's going to be <laughs> all these little variations. Of, yep. Oh, I like a poodle. I like a German shepherd. And so, you know, to me, that's kind of what you're talking about when you're talking about the word kind, because mm-hmm. what some people might think is kind may not be to others. And so you really do have to make sure that people have that shared picture and there's a lot of uh, writing out there, too, about the DNA of a company. And mm-hmm. I think this fits very much into that, because when if everybody's kind and they have this kind of shared view of what it is, mm-hmm. then it becomes the DNA of the company. You know what I mean? And definitely the big question I've also seen recently is, can you hold on to that as you grow and get bigger and make more money? Because there seems to be tipping points uh, at certain levels of money that challenge the ability of an organization to maintain this. It may be easy to maintain it when you have 12 employees, mm-hmm. but then when you get to 80 employees, can you still maintain it? A million employees, you know, and you're Absolutely. a big conglomerate. How do you maintain that DNA of your company as you get bigger mm-hmm. and the, the stakes get higher, you know? Definitely. Then, then you're going to run into very specific scenarios that make it challenging. There's, there's first of all, just the sheer scale, but then it's likely (laughs) as you have more employees, you're going to have more locations. And so then each location is going to have a a little bit of a culture of its own. And then you're likely to get more and more diverse people from diverse backgrounds and perspectives, especially if you expand internationally, you're getting people who have um, all these different experiences and ideas. And so each level of, of growth typically does cause those those potential conflicts. Yeah, I love that idea. Um, you know, it, it's coming back to just that idea of a common language. Yeah, and exactly. A yeah. commonly understood. So we have this word, and this word is important to us, and this is what it means, and we all understand what it means, and this is what it looks like when we're actually um, making our, our actions match our words. And so if everybody's on the same page there, you've removed all this potential for uh, again, it's 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 not nobody's trying, right? Yeah, we're not yeah. trying to make it difficult. It's just this we're rubbing up against each other, and it's 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 just friction. That's yeah. a part of natural um, natural communication. And, yeah, and, and I think we're wrong. All experience not, exactly. Yeah. You're not wrong if you know if you're in a company and you don't have the same kind of belief system of what the word means. And it doesn't mean the company's wrong or you're wrong or that you're bad for you know not following their rules. It just means, hey, you got to think to yourself, can I fit into this 
in a way that's going to make me feel fulfilled. You know, go back to what you were talking about with the your, your own inner personal words and how you're going to do that with the bigger group. Or mm-hmm. um, is it time for me to go find another place and see if I can find a place where I match better? Uh, that was, you know, a really big discussion with some HR people is they feel bad when they have to let somebody go. And I, you know, to me, when I think about it, I think, you know, sometimes the kindest thing you can do is say to somebody, mm-hmm. look, you're not, you know, this is not a good fit for you or I, and it's going to, you know, you, you would be much happier if you went and found something where you could thrive more and Definitely. people, you know, are afraid to do that. That's again, that fear, you know, oh my gosh, you know, if somebody's going to get mad at me or I'm a bad person because I had to let them go or they're going to starve, you know, things like that. And, you know, you have to kind of figure out how can I be, a compassionate person or whatever your word you want to use are, but still maintain this culture. Because if you think about that, that group that had one person, everybody else did it, but one person didn't. And you kept that one person in the group, even though they were kind of fracturing, fracturing, fracturing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, you're, that's a choice you're making as a company to say yes. it's more important to, uh, have this person, one person in here fracturing. And that's okay too. You know, to me, like, you know, this goes back to that no good or bad or wrong or right. But each company has to decide what that's going to look like for them. And I think that's the biggest challenge is because people ask me, well, okay, what's the, you know, what's the best way to do it? And I'm like, well, there really isn't a quote unquote best way because if you think about each company and how different they are and how different the people that are in their company are and the beliefs and the goals of that company. You know, you're talking so much different energy, so much different mm-hmm. belief systems, so much more uh, interplay that's different. You're going to have different, you know, like I was talking about D- DNAs in your company. And when somebody leaves or comes from the company, it's shifting it. So you're not only talking the core group, but you're talking the element of time because it shifts every second, you know, every breath you take, well, you get a chance to do that. And so all day long, every second of the day is that moment of choice for everybody. Am I going to get upset or am I going to try to be kind in the way I handle this? You know, those are those minute by minute or second by second uh, decisions. So not, not overwhelming at all, right? (laughs) (laughs) No, well, I think that's, that's a great place to start to wind down because I think it's a, it's a good reminder of just what each of us can do, um, yeah. taking action following this is to just um, have that have that mindset of, of paying attention. Yeah. So um, I'd love it if you could share some some resources with our listeners. It could be books, um, podcasts, uh, you know, TV shows, whatever, whatever you think might be helpful for people. And I did look up that book that you mentioned yeah, while we were talking, called- and it's called Man's Search for Meaning there by Victor go. Frankel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll include that one. Thank on you. List, yes, but. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to write, like that write it down well. before I start because I use it as an example a lot. You think I'd remember it. Yeah, I always joke and tell people, you know, I, the, my one, here's my little secret thing is that I have a horrible memory. I have to write everything down. Mm-hmm. And, so, and I have since I was in my 20s. And so, you know, I can't blame age or anything on it. But uh, but so, you know, those little statistics and all, usually I write them all down because I, I'm really bad about being able to remember the exact number or the, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. So unless it's real significant. But uh, but so, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'm glad you looked that up so that we could have, that they could read that. Uh, but yeah, as far as other things, okay, let's see. 
Um, I really have enjoyed, there's a, a guy out of MIT by the name of Otto Scharmer, and he does, he had a book called Theory U, and it's a big academic book, but he actually did a executive summary on it, and he calls it the blind side of uh, business. He does a lot of corporate mm. work also, and it's, it's kind of the same thing, but it's, it's, he's an economist, so he's speaking at it from a, mm. an economist's point of view. And he actually came to Austin and spoke, so I got to meet him when he was in for that. Uh, but um, he, his executive summary you can actually get online if you Google uh, Theory U executive summary. Uh, there actually, I think, is a free PDF that you can get of it. And there's also, I think if you email them, they'll send you a copy of it. I don't know if they're still doing that or not, but a while back they were. So that's a really good one to kind of learn from an economist perspective. Um, And and then, you know, I like, um, I I really like to get online. I hate to admit this. I'm one of these people who really likes to get on Google or Google Scholar and Mm. and see what's out there because things are changing. You know, I saw how fast things are changing. Well, you know, to me, it's it's about the learning and that knowledge, because, you know, when you're talking critical thinking, you're also talking about um, how you perceive the world and how you uh, what knowledge base you have. So what I really encourage people to do is just, you know, kind of read, you know, go whatever you enjoy reading, because everybody's so different in what they're interested in. But, you know, if you don't like to read a book. Um, get on Google and just go to Google Scholar if you want to learn some some more uh, academic stuff that's more factual as opposed to, you know, the things that you're going to see. But even, you know, magazine articles, you know, from, uh, you know, Fast Company, Inc., Entrepreneur, that, you know, they all have really great articles that you can do where they've got people coming in. Harvard Business Review has a bunch of really great articles. And I think online they even give you like two or three a month for free that you can go read. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll do that a lot of times where I'll just go read some of their stuff. Um, and then, you know, there's like books like Who Moved the Cheese? You know, I think that's what it's called. But uh, he, he's written a number of books like that. Um, and then I also say read a little bit for fun, too. You know, don't it doesn't have to be all about uh, work. That's the thing I think we need to figure out, especially with all the remote work, is how do we take time to relax for ourselves? And um, I think, you know, we have a little bit lost the art of reading for the sake of, of being knowledgeable, you know, and the more knowledgeable that we are, yeah, the more knowledgeable we are, the better decisions we're going to be able to make because uh, we're able to think out, you know, like history. That's one of the things I really like is um, uh, looking at history. And, um, you know, we were talking about buildings and all is going places. And uh, right now online, I think you can go into the art galleries and you can go Mm. into all these historical places and they have virtual uh, things for you to just go and and say, wow, this is a big world and there are a lot of people in it. And it can be a little terrifying sometimes, but you know what? I can always have these words about how I'm going to act even on my darkest day. And that, and that can be good. That can be, that can be for me, the thing that, that strengthens me and makes me feel uh, like I have control over something is the fact that all day long I was kind and I can, I can, I can anchor on that. <laughs> so full that circle. Is, that's wonderful. So we'll, we'll include um, a bunch of those resources in the show notes. And if we can track down that executive summary, we'll, we'll put the link. Yeah. 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 I'd be happy okay. to send it to you. Perfect. All right. Well, 
Lynette, it has been so fun talking to you. Um, And I'm sure our listeners are going to be interested in learning more about all this great work that you're doing. So if you want people to do that, where should they find you? Uh, Well, the the two places I normally send people are, first of all, my website, which is www.expectations with an S on the end, and then the number two, and then reality at, uh, I mean, expectations to reality.com. Uh, and so that's, and, and if you go there, there's a place where you can put your email in and you can get into a little resource center that will actually give you some worksheets that you can print out to help you work on your personal intentional mission statement and talk a little bit about those things. So you can do a little training on your own for free. And so that's one way. And then the other way is LinkedIn. I'm always uh, uh, talking and visiting with people on LinkedIn. So that's a good uh, place to All right. We'll we'll definitely include those links in the show notes. And I hope a lot of our listeners um, follow up with you because uh, you, you shared a lot of wisdom today. So thank you so much for being here, Lynette. Hey, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and the resources for everything that Lynette and I have been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 301. Make sure to tune into the podcast next week. We have another great guest. This is a fun one, uh, a little counterintuitive. I'm not even going to tell you. Uh, that'll be the teaser. If you enjoyed today's show, please recommend us to a friend. That'll help more people discover the show. And if you haven't yet subscribed, make sure to do that so you hear every new episode as soon as it goes live. You can subscribe for free wherever you're listening right now. We love, love, love to hear feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts or email us with direct feedback, questions, and guest suggestions at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook. And don't forget to check out the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success. Happy selling!